Hello and welcome to the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack French Julie for Wahoo's 24-7. And if you're on our YouTube channel, you obviously we're in a double box, and that means we have a special guest. And today's episode, we invite Streaking Lalon Zach Gary. Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So obviously, if we have Zach on the show, that means we're talking about Virginia men's basketball. Now, last week, we had a special interview with Ryan Dunn's father, Ed Dunn, on the show to talk a little bit about Ryan. So we didn't really get to talk about the craziness that's been going on in the last week and a half, two weeks around the Virginia program. So we're going to touch on a few of those things. And just a heads up, we are recording this before the Boston College game. So that's why we're not discussing the Boston College game, although that we will be taught will be publishing this on Thursday. So just a heads up, we are not talking about the Boston College game. So leading into this BC game, Virginia is controlling its own destiny in the ACC, Zach. Uh, right now, they have four games. If they win out, they'll get the ACC regular season title, but they yep. will be getting a share of the title if they go 3-1 since Miami and Pitt, if they win out, they face each other at the end of the season. And when you look at the schedule, what do you think? Is it favorable for UVA? Yeah, I mean, I, I think – this is about as good of a shot as you get to win the ACC. I think typically, you know, you can talk about the conference being down, a conference being up, whatever you want, but this is typically how it is in the final stretch in the last month or last now week and a half of play. You know, it's if you have a game lead going into your last four, that's great. Um, Boston College is not a good basketball team. They could lose that game, and then when this goes up, I look silly, but – that that should be a win, just as the Notre Dame and Louisville uh, games should have, and fortunately were wins despite being a little bit closer uh, than comfortable. I, I'll sk- I'm going to come back to North Carolina. I think Clemson is a very winnable game. That team's come back to earth as a lot of the metrics predicted that they would. Um, they have some good, you know, front court pieces that could provide mismatches for UVA. They could be, you know, a little bit problematic, but. They also just lost to Louisville by 10, and and that would have been a, a you know, they, they lost to Boston College. Like, this is not a – this isn't a great team. UVA is better than them. I think they can beat them at home. Uh, Clemson's not a good road team. And then versus Louisville at home, that should be a win. Carolina's tough. Carolina has lost five of their six games in February. Um, obviously, a team that is not doing well, bad vibes all around. But the talent is still there. No, they're not the number one team in the country like they were preseason. This is not the team that made the national championship game last year. But they still have Armando Baycott. They still have Pete Nance. They still have guards who can get hot, even though they have not been this season whatsoever. Um, And, you know, Baycott only played in one minute back in January when UVA played against Carolina. Last season, he averaged 19.5 points and 16.5 rebounds in two games against Virginia. So that threat is still there on the road against Carolina. I have a feeling UNC will be favored, will be the betting favorite in that game just because of that fact, just because of the fact that even though they lose games, they've typically, that you know, those five losses in February have all been within seven or eight points. Um that's going to be the test. If they beat Carolina, I will feel very good. And assuming they beat Boston College, I will feel very good about their chances of seizing the one seed, winning the ACC outright. But that's the game that's going to test them the most. That's the game where you're going to try and see how can UVA's front court match up against North Carolina's defensively. UVA's been going small ball. Caden Shedrick hasn't been playing very much. Um, you're going to need him to play 20, 25 minutes. You're going to need him to match up on the boards. You're going to need uh, Francisco Caffro to have a big game. And, and then you're going to need 
guys like Gardner, Vanderplas, Don to step up when you go small ball. Um, and that's really going to test this UVA front court, which has been come and go throughout the season. So I think they have a good shot. I think they have as good of a shot, well, a better of a shot than anybody. Um, you know, the metrics would say that they have probably an 80% chance of winning the ACC, getting the one seed. Um, but it's going to be tough. That that UNC game worries me. I think if UVA plays the type of basketball that we know they can play in the other three games, they'll win those, though. Yeah, so mathematically, so we kind of settle things down for people. It's uh, Miami and Pitt are the two teams that are close. Miami, number two, Pitt, number three. So, and they face each other in the season finale for them. So if Virginia goes three and one and Miami and Pitt win out and whoever beats whoever, then they'll share the regular season title. That'll be one option. Now, if uh, Virginia loses two and Miami wins out, Miami could could get that regular season title. So that right now, Virginia fully controls its own destiny here. And like you said, the North Carolina game is the one you circle in the last few games, because again, when you kind of touched on it, you know, Baycott was not playing in that home game against UNC because he hurt his ankle in that game. So he left early. So we didn't actually see Virginia face him this year. And with Caden Shedrick now playing a lot of minutes, it's going to be interesting. And they seem to struggle on the interior defensively in those games when they went small ball. So it, that would be definitely something to watch. And yeah, it's not been a great for UVA lately. Um, you know, we, <laughs> they've combined what five, five points wins between Louisville and Notre Dame, the bottom of the ACC. Uh, you can argue maybe Louisville and Notre Dame are have been getting better as the season goes out, but you also can say some things aren't clicking for Virginia. One of the things that right. we've noticed is their three point shooting has not been clicking. They have not shot above 33% from the three since January and that's one of the biggest differences that we see from this UVA team that beat some big top ranked teams early on in the season to the team now that barely scrapped by against Louisville and Notre Dame right and and I think that you know sometimes that's just basketball you know you go through shooting slumps that happens but I also think that that struggle to not score the ball like UVA's defense was altogether fine against Louisville Notre Dame um I can pull up the points per possession you know Louisville uh scored exactly I guess one point per possession against UVA Notre Dame had 0.948 like that's fine against that's good against those teams um those teams also don't have a lot going for them. So like that's expected it's not nothing to sort of write home about but yeah offensively it's a question mark of can they produce offense when they're not hitting from three? And I think that some of that uh, is Reese Beekman not being able to get to the rim and score consistently, not being able to be that score that we saw earlier in the season. You're seeing them be, you know, bailed out by Kihei Clark in the backcourt, but you know, they, they need that shooting umph, especially from Ben Vanderplas in the front court. They don't have a great back to the basket game. You know, Jaden Gardner can be good in there, but that's really only against, mismatches he's not really doing that against the ACC's best and I don't mean to harp on him for that he's still a very good player and has a lot going for him outside of that but it's a little bit shooting dependent it's sort of dependent on can he go six for eight from the mid-range in a game if he's going two for eight from the mid-range in a game then you're not really getting production there and so that's where this UVA offense can be a little bit volatile especially if you don't have Reese arguably UVA's best player scoring uh, consistently Without Kane Shedrick, you don't really have a rim runner who's getting easy points out of the pick and roll. You don't have a guy. I mean, he 
you know, he, he's been he struggled with foul trouble. He's been off and on very much throughout the year. But when he's been on the floor, he's been extremely efficient. You know, like, you know, all the sort of, you know, stat heads uh, of, of UV basketball and basketball in general will tell you that, like, Hayden Shedrick needs to be on the floor more. It's just a matter of can you keep him on the floor more because he gives you so much that when the ball is in his hands, he's typically scoring. And obviously he's not a great back to the basket guy, but he's a product of the offense running to its full potential. And so there's still a lot of little things. Like I don't think that this is anything that can't be fixed. I don't think it's a sign that UVA has a bad offense. Sometimes guys go cold for a little bit. It just, this team is a little bit uniquely suited to needing to not go cold. Uh, and because they don't have someone sort of who's going to be able to generate points in the front court by throwing the ball into, because of the fact that, the guards, um, like, you know, Armand Franklin can get going inside. He can be a slasher. So can Reese. Kihei can create things and find people and score for himself as well, as can Reese. It's just a matter of you got to convert on the back end when those shots are there. Um, when the front court is inefficient, as it has been, you don't make free throws, uh, as they mm-hmm. haven't been for a lot of these games. You're just you're, you're putting yourself in positions to fail. I think... In the long run, I think we'll probably look back at this, these Louisville and Notre Dame games more as sort of, what was that in the middle of February? We'll, we'll sort of look back and be like, that was weird. We don't know exactly what happened there, but this team won the ACC and they did what they needed to do. I don't think there's any need to panic. Um, I do think that UVA has been a little bit stagnant sort of within their offensive sets. We had that really great run of offensive production in sort of after they went in that triangle set. Since then, and as teams have sort of realized, like, okay, like, we know what they're running here. We know sort of, like, what they want to do in this offense. Teams have figured out ways to game that system to sort of play off Ryan Dunn on the perimeter to sort of do different things and be like, okay, we're going to let Ben Vanderpuff shoot if he's missing. If not, we're going to – because then we can sort of – we can protect ourselves inside and and make sure that those baseline drives aren't there. So – it's pretty simple. It's basketball. You got to hit shots to win games. Um, and this team more than ever really just needs guys to step up in big moments and, and guys just have to get out of their slumps a little bit. Like sometimes that's just what basketball is. And, and I, I, I hate to use all the cliches, but um, you, you got to find ways to keep. Sports Reece- is cliche. Get- yeah. It's words cliche. And uh, if you can get Reese Beekman back to sort of his former self, um, especially early in the season, then I think this team still has, very great potential this season. Yeah, Beekman in the last uh, three games has shot 22% from three and then 21% from the field. And we saw when he was yeah. hurt, not playing 100%, how much of a factor he is. And we're seeing it again. He's there, he's healthy, but he's going on a slump. And we see how much of a key Reese Beekman is to things kind of flowing there. Um, and, you know, you mentioned free throws. I mean, that Duke game that ended up being controversial would have never even been controversial if they meet, yeah. they made most of their free throws. So that's right. where we are. It's where the margin of error, they, they have a little more leeway in the margin of error. As we can see, they're still winning games. But it's still, it gets a little uncomfortable is probably the better way of saying because of the missing of the free throws or just some of the shots that are not going in. Um, so that's, so right now for this team, my when we were kind of, take a little break here, but we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament and kind of looking forward there since they, we just got, know figured out what their seed might be in the kind of the bracket release uh, about a week and a half ago when you look at the competition there you're like okay virginia might have some matchup concerns if they don't get kind of get out of this slump so 
We're going to take a quick break. And on the way back, we'll discuss a little bit about their seating and what the NCAA bracket looks like as of right now. So we'll just be right back. And welcome back to the Good Old Podcast. I'm Zach Franchuli, and this is Zach Carey. And we're talking about Virginia men's basketball. Um, just before the break, we're talking about the last few games and where things stand for UVA as far as the ACC regular season title. Obviously, the ACC tournament is also coming ahead. But about a week ago, we also got a glimpse at what the bracket in the NCAA tournament would look like if everything finished today. And that put Virginia as the number 10 overall team the number third seed in the South region. So Zach, when you look at what the brackets show of where they believe Virginia is, and you yeah. look at those top 16 teams and you see the trajectory of a lot of those teams, there are some concerning matchups early on. Obviously things can change. There's a couple of four games to change your momentum for Virginia to getting out of these slopes. Like we said, it's not the end of the world. There's ebbs and flows when it comes to basketball. But when you look at the 16-team field right now, there's some matchup concerns for UVA early. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at this this group of teams, um, you know, my initial thought is, gosh, I wish that UCLA had the Illinois in Vegas uh, so that UVA could have played them rather than Illinois in that last game and maybe get another quality win. Um but yeah, I mean, I, you know, you, you see a team like Baylor improve throughout the year. You see these teams that throughout the season have gotten much better um, as they've integrated new pieces. I do think that there is sort of a slight concern when you look around the country um, because it seems like UVA has not made a massive jump from game one season to game, oh gosh, uh, 25, 26, wherever they are now. Um and I think that some of that is the experience. Some of that is just that they had so much time in the summer together. Um, and I'm not speaking on matchups specifically, but, you know, I, I think you're seeing that other teams have gotten much better throughout the year and UVA might have benefited more early in the season, just from bringing everyone back, having that continuity. Um, and so, yeah, but like in, in this bracket, I mean, if you put UVA at the 10, uh, what one seed would that match them up with? Would that be Houston? Uh in the Midwest, and, and I, I think Yale. I think I think that. Jerry Palm has them. Yeah, I think Jerry Palm has them against Yale at one at one okay. of their brackets, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think as ever with UVA uh, and UVA basketball, they're capable to be upset. It's it's you know it, it's a cliche probably uh, as well, but as as we say now, as we say in, in, in this episode, sports are cliches playing. Slower pace means that teams can stick around. And and because this UVA team is volatile offensively, as I mentioned, and, and because they need to make shots and because the pack line is a great defense until other teams get hot, there's always the potential for, for upsets. I'm most concerned that UVA is going to lose to a 14 seed in the first round. Um, that's my sort of biggest worry for this season. Uh, a team like Yale, who honestly I don't have um, a lot of info about, but I, I you know they they have a couple of... Of, of studs if I'm remembering things correctly. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if, you, if you're in the same bracket as Houston, uh, that's going to be tough to make it to the final four uh, if you get beyond that first round and, and, and elsewhere. Um, 
but yeah, I think this UVA team can be built to be a good NCAA tournament team. Um, if you find that consistent production from the front court, if you get the back court back to their former selves, if you get uh, scoring, Speakman being aggressive, Armand Franklin who gets hot, and, and Kia Clark just being Kia Clark. So they're always going to be liable to get upset. They're always going to be liable uh, to sort of struggling in games that they really shouldn't struggle in, like we saw over these last two weeks. This team at its best, though, with Tony Bennett at the helm, though, uh, definitely has a shot at a run. And I think that that's all you can really ask for um, in March because it's all just sort of a roll of the dice. At least we've seen this year how Tony Bennett really isn't scared to be adapting as the season goes on. He's, He's made his roster pretty versatile. That's something that even in media day, he said, I like the fact that I can be versatile this year and adapt my roster and adapt my starting lineup and just adapt as I go because i have those pieces that didn't have the previous year so at least that will help them in march and one of the big talking points actually that came out of all this was the disrespect for the acc that's something that's been talked about by the coaches in the zoom calls that they had this week you know pitt's head coach of couple he said that he believes that the acc conference and also the acc network doesn't do enough to kind of push their teams forward and to be fair that's something that i even discussed on the show when it came to the football side of things where I think the ACC doesn't do enough to promote its athletes compared to other, other conferences like the big 10 and the SEC. I mean, I was there when uh, Kyle Trask was being pushed for the Heisman ended up going to the Heisman celebrations because the SEC network Florida kind of pushed and pushed and promoted it. So everyone knew Kyle Trask's story, but you don't see that sort of promotion in the ACC. And I kind of, that's something that I kind of agree. I'd, I, I don't think the ACC is at its best this year. I'm going to be one of those that thinks it's, it is. Yeah. I, I didn't think the ACC down was last year. I think the ACC narrative last year was wrong, which was proven when we went to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I think this year they're a little bit down. I think if you compare the two seasons, I didn't think the ACC is, is as great this year. But that's, that narrative that the ACC is always down, I think I agree, falls into that there isn't as much promotion in the conference. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, I think for basketball specifically, it's the brands. Like, it's it's easy for any college basketball fan to look at Duke and Carolina this year and tell you that the ACC is down. And so I think that that's where sort of the ACC network comes in. You got to talk about Pitt. You got to talk about Clemson, even though Clemson's, you know, sort of fallen since the starting 10-1 or 11-1 in the conference. You got to talk about UVA. You have to make UVA sort of like the face of the ACC. They should be the face of the conference mm-hmm. right now. UVA should be getting not the not all the coverage, obviously. There's too many teams. But they be I, I mean, Duke and North Carolina up. got all the coverage a lot of times. Exactly. And so I think that like rather than talking about what's wrong with Duke, what's wrong with North Carolina, let's talk about what's going right for Miami. Let's talk about Miami and, and Jim Laranega's success in the NCAA tournament and how he has guards once again who can make a run. And he has Nigel Pack and he has Isaiah Wong and he has guys like that. Um, talk about UVA. I mean, UVA has freaking Kihei Clark. Like, you know, <laughs> this is the guy that's most experienced uh, in the conference, probably in the country. Uh, leading the ACC in wins. And I know they mentioned that. And, uh, you know, I don't, I admittedly don't watch enough of the ACC network to, you know, make a definitive statement of they got to, you know, they got to improve their product and this, that, and the other. Like I watch the games and that's just about it because I have too much time having to do my own content to watch tons of others. But um, I understand that narrative and I get where that comes from. And I think that 
it's true to some degree. I think also the ACC does need to be better. And for the ACC to be at its best, Duke and Carolina do need to be much better than they are this season. So it's sort of like a chicken and the egg thing. Um, So yeah, Duke and Carolina need to be better in the long run. I think there is a reality to the fact that there's a lot of easy wins in the ACC this year. Um, I say that after UVA beat Notre Dame by three or (laughs) Notre Dame by two and Louisville by three. I think that was more a product of UVA not playing well. Yes, those teams have gotten better, but like, come on, Louisville is still one of the worst um, major conference teams ever. Uh, and, and, and Notre Dame is, is not far away from that. So I think that there's enough sort of like bad teams at the back end of the ACC that make it not amazing. And then the top of the ACC, if you're talking UVA and Miami nationally, those teams are probably more in the 10 to 20 range than they are the top 10. So they're sort of tier two, tier three teams who can make a run, but aren't uh, sort of like first teams out of the mouth when talking about NCAA championship favorites. And so sort of that reality does fit into the ACC, just not quite being as good. And yeah, the, the narrative of, okay, like games in November and December are what decide this, but also like UVA is benefiting majorly from games in November and December because, they were right. a team who played together so long. Like, does UVA beat Baylor right now on a neutral court? I don't know. Baylor would probably be favored. Like, Keontae George has gotten better. They, they've had pieces back into the fold. So it, it, it goes back and forth. I don't totally buy into the, like, okay, the ACC is just hurt by games in November and December. It's like, well, yeah, you got to win games in November and December, too, if you want to have a good tournament resume. That's just basketball. Like, it's it's a long season. And maybe there should be more non-conference games in January and February, but this is, is, and you just, sometimes you don't win the games and sometimes your conference just isn't quite as good. I say this and then they're going to have three teams in the Elite Eight and I'm going to look like a fool and everyone's going to look like a fool. But um, I think that there's probably less of a chance of that this year than last year, just looking at this conference and looking at the teams who will be in the tournament from this conference. Yeah, last year, uh, a lot of people uh, kind of had to swallow their uh, ACC was bad after uh, Miami and the ACC beat up a couple of teams they didn't weren't expected to. And the Big Ten didn't yeah. uh, have any teams past that first weekend and the Big Ten was hyped up. So that's that's a lot of it. Again, I, I, it's a lot of factors going into this. And some of it is to do with how those coverage and the ACC in basketball, it just happens that Duke and UNC get a primarily a lot of the coverage. So when they're down, there's always going to be a perception that the whole conference is down, despite that UVA has been consistently all been up there with some of the best teams in the nation. Now, of course, last year wasn't where anyone expected UVA to be, but at the same time, they're still in the national conversation. And I feel like UVA doesn't generally get the respect. I remember when I was covering Florida, UVA was generally not discussed as much at SEC territory. Still Duke and UNC were still the teams that were being discussed. So I think that's, also something that the ACC can do a little bit better is promoting those teams that have been consistent yeah. enough in their wins. Um, they're not that not named Duke and UNC in basketball. And then and even on the football side of things, they're not named Florida state or Clemson or Miami. It's, 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 right. it's, you just need that more promotion, especially, you know, when Pitt wins the ACC coastal, you still need to, it's not the ACC is down. Pitt was just happening to have a very good experience quarterback this year. So, Again, it's just uh, something that the ACC needs to do better at as our overall thing. So we're going to end with one thing before we before we let you go, Zach, because obviously, like I said, we didn't have a podcast discussing that Duke yes. game. 
So we're going to end talking about that <laughs> controversial call. What I, I, I will say, like, I, I left. Um, so the Duke game happened this Saturday night. So I was on a plane to Arizona on Sunday. So I didn't get to see the aftermath very much. I decided to kind of hmm. stay away from stuff. So, but I, I came back and I saw all the all the stories coming off. I saw that glorious AC statement. My goodness, um, yeah, it's just crazy to me. How, like, I I still remember the travel, the Duke travel yeah. that secured them the win over NBA, and that 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 one call elicited so much off social media and ACC statement. And when you look at it. And I get what people were saying. Like, it's, you know, you can't take away a foul. Once the false cow is to take away. But the rule does yeah. say, and, and which is why I got worked by the ACC statement, the rule does say, and it's like the third section of the rule they cited, there's actually another citation in that same rule that says if the foul happened after the expiration of time, it like, especially the way that foul happened, it doesn't, it's not a foul. So technically the referees yeah. were right. And And if you look at it, it was a, that is also unclear what the actual foul was. No one knew who was it called on. Know, and he, yeah, who was it called on? And if you, if we speak, that was a clean block, so it wasn't right. the block. And they say it's body contact, but it, I didn't look. We speak, and if they, they said it was actually Ryan Dunn, and it didn't seem like Ryan Dunn even touched the guy. Dunn so barely touched that, him. Yeah. So it's just, uh, yeah. I, I was just surprised at just the uh, controversy that came out of that. It's Duke, like it's Duke. Like I mean, they're crybabies, and 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 like I, I you know, DVA student here, so I uh, bias. But um, listen, I, when the foul was called, I didn't think it was a foul. I was still shocked when they went to the monitor and overturned that it was a foul. I do think that there is some complaint there that like I believe that the foul that they thought they called happened before the whistle. I think that they sort of like called it on like it was more of a like there seemed to be a lot of contact there i think that's a foul and then they went to the monitor and it was like oh, no, it looked like a foul but we can say that the foul that we called happened after. after the whistle and so it was sort of just a like whoops kind of a cop out. yeah kind of a cop yeah, out and so i think the acc should have just shut up and just like let it be they made things so much more complicated by putting out statements and then addendums to statements and then you know whatever like just let it go kyle filipowski should have scored over the guy that's a foot shorter than him they also took five and a half seconds to inbound if you're going to make a statement about the foul make the statement about the inbounds make the statement about kyle filipowski like elbowing reese earlier in the game talk about the bs charge calls that ryan young was getting like you can't just it just you get into a spiral it's like that uva uva auburn game in 2019 like kyle guy first of all was fouled the tie jerome double dribble yes also i'm blanking on the guy's name who fouled kyle he traveled a minute earlier off an inbounds pass where he like rotated and pivoted like three different times with two different um pivot foots so like this is just basketball like and i know i said like five times on this podcast and now i i feel like i'm (laughs) just saying that too much but like that you know it happens it wasn't a foul duke you weren't down one you had five minutes to go win it you had the opportunity and god john shire like i it seems like a fine coach fine person but like shut up about the call it's fine in the post game presser if you want to like whine about it a little bit or whatever but like 
be a better team. You have like the top 15 players, freshmen in the country, like go win games already and, and, and stop whining about calls that frankly weren't that egregious. If it was egregious, like I would understand more of the sort of the Duke um, being annoyed by it. Like I, I would get that, but there wasn't, it wasn't like Reese slapped Filipowski's arm and that prevented him from scoring the basket. Like there, there wasn't an obvious foul called Reese got ball and then hand. That's a fair play. Ryan Dunn made contact with Filipowski after the whistle. And it was just, that's, it, it wasn't anything, anything egregious. So long story short, UVA won the game. Did they deserve to win the game after shooting whatever they shot from the free throw line? Probably not, but they did. And wins a win. Refs are going to make calls that they're going to make. The Grayson Allen travel is, uh, we'll, we'll say it's been avenged. Yeah, it was just, um, like, I totally understand Shire at the end of the postgame press conference. Because it was it was strange because yeah. the referees never explained it to the coach yeah. what the actual yeah. call was. So even us right. in the press room, we had no idea what the actual call was. We were was. theorizing. We, like... <laughs> we were theorizing. We were trying to figure out who was the actual one who got called the foul on. Yeah. And then they in, in the JPJ, they announced they overturned the foul, which is you can't. You can't do yeah. So it was very, yeah, it was very, very confusing. So you're just like, and especially when you're trying to write a story, you're like, what is actually happening? So, but right. for me, what the biggest thing was the ACC releasing the statement. That was the, and it was like 1130 o'clock at midnight. I'm like, why? Yeah, are, why I was are driving you home to Philly. Yeah. I was yeah. In the that, that was, that was my big thing. On. Yeah. It, yeah it's it like, that was sense. my big thing. Why get involved? Why get right. involved in this situation? I mean, it's not going to change the outcome of the game at this point. Um, so that, that was my, that was my biggest takeaway was, uh, so is now the ACC going to release a statement after every single controversial call that happens in any sort of game, basketball or football, yeah. because I mean, we've, we've dealt with a few controversial calls in football too. So I guess we should wait for an ACC statement on those as well. So, but, um, Zach, thank you so much for joining us and kind of talking about Virginia basketball. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me anytime. And if you continue to like what you're hearing about the podcast, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. We're available in different hearing platforms. And also, why don't you go ahead and like this channel and like this video on YouTube and make sure you click on the bell so that you're notified whenever there's a new video. So for Zach Carey, I'm Jackie Franchuli, and I hope you guys have a good rest of your week.